All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I got to talk with Chris Mann. And Chris is a guy that I've actually been keeping up with on social media for quite a while now. He does some really cool things, uh, getting out, taking veterans out hunting, kind of all over the country. He's got a lot of different hunts planned this year, and you'll hear more about that here shortly. But I need to make you aware of something. Fall is showing up quickly. We woke up today, and it was like a 20-degree temperature drop from yesterday, and I wasn't expecting that until tomorrow. So I did not get out in the woods at all, but I guarantee the deer were moving here in Missouri. So if you're here locally or even really in the Midwest, I encourage you, get out. And if you've got waterfowl open or whitetail open, go out and try to get after some because they're going to be moving in force as fall approaches. And so I'm going to be watching these fronts coming in here over the next few days and few weeks. But actually, I probably won't have a ton of opportunity to get out and hunt. My wife and I are renovating a couple of campers that we have to finish up and we've got deadlines for them. So I'll try to sneak a hunt in here and there, but honestly, I may not get out for a while. So please you go as my proxy and try to get after a big buck. Anyways, we're going to dive into this episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. It really is a good one. And like all of my recent guests, I probably could have chatted with Chris for like five hours, but we all have adult responsibilities and we were unable to do that. So you're just going to get, uh, I don't know, an hour, hour and 15 minutes of it. So let's jump in. Like he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I've got Chris Mann. And Chris is with High Range Hunting. Uh, We've been chatting for quite a while, actually, Um, not face-to-face or on Zoom, but just through social media. Um, So we've kind of gotten to know each other a little bit. But I want to say welcome to the show. And why don't you uh, share with the listeners kind of how you got into hunting, a little bit about your background and what you're doing now. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, my name is Chris Mann. I'm from Washington state. Uh, grew up born, kind of grew up in hunting. My dad, uncles, grandfather, all of them hunt. Um, so it was kind of always in my blood. And then, so grew up hunting, uh, ended up joining the Marines after high school and was gone for a handful of years and kind of just didn't hunt during that time. I was too busy, had other things in life. And once I got out, you know, I kind of got back into hunting really, really heavily to where it uh, kind of became more of my addiction than a hobby. So I started uh, guiding and also working with uh, a lot of nonprofits that take uh, wounded veterans and first responders and terminally ill kids on hunts all around the country. And so that's pretty much what I do when I'm not at my nine to five is I'm either hunting for myself or taking others out. That's awesome. Do you stay pretty local there to Washington when you do that or do you travel quite a bit? No, we, uh, we travel across the country. So this year I'll be in Texas, Maine, New York, Maryland, I think Florida and a few other States. And so every year we, we, uh, 
me and my my partner Ryan, we put together a handful of big hunts that we bring guys out on. Uh, we work with some really awesome outfitters that you know want to donate the hunts, and so from there, the nonprofit takes care of all the rest. And uh, yeah, and so it's it's been a good time. And then obviously in Washington, Oregon, Idaho, uh, I do a lot of local stuff as well, just to when I'm not traveling. Yeah. I, I know that feeling. It's like people always ask me about out of state hunts and how, how fun traveling and hunting is. And I'm like, man, it's all really good, but there's something about just like, Oh man, it's only 3 PM. I'm going to just shoot out to the woods for like a couple hours at the end of the day. Like to have that available is probably my favorite thing. Yeah, definitely. Especially like, you know, you say you draw a Colorado or a Wyoming tag, you only got five or six days, so you don't want to waste any time. Oh yeah. But definitely having, having that ability to go, yeah, I'm off work. It's still light. I got two hours. Let's go. You know, that's that, that, that is nice. And I kind of find myself, I get really, I get less picky with the in-state deer that I go after because I'm like, ah, you know, but then, you know, it's, it's just kind of, it's, it's a good time. Well, when it's a tag that you have to like draw for, or you're paying big money for, like I've, I've never been a snob with like what I'm going to shoot. Like, Oh, it has to be this number or this score or whatever. But those non-resident tags are so expensive and you're like, man, if I come out here and I shoot like a yearling bull or a yearling buck on day one, I'm probably not going to be thrilled with myself, you know? Yeah. I mean, in that, that same respect, I'd rather shoot that yearling, you know, a little spiked bull on day one than take home that tag and know <laughs> that, well, all that money's gone. Yep. No, I feel that for sure. So, um, yeah. It was funny. I, I was hunting with my buddy Sean in Colorado and he had drawn his bull moose tag. And that's like once in a lifetime type of deal. And he kept saying like, dude, there is no way I'm shooting a bull on the first day. No way. Like we all took off. It's a two week hunt. We all took off two weeks and I was up there like ready to go. We had scouted that summer. He had scouted multiple times more than just when I went with him. And he's like, there's big bulls in here. Like, we're not shooting one first day. We're going to go around probably the first three days and just see what kind of caliber there are. And we left our camp, and we're on a dirt road, and we're maybe 300 yards from camp, and there's a bull moose out in the meadow. And we get out. I get. He was driving a truck with his girlfriend at the time. I was on a four-wheeler. His brothers were coming up behind us. And we all get out and he's like, Hey, I'm just going to go get a closer look at it, you know? And (laughs) we're, we're all glassing from several hundred yards away and it stands up, a cow stands up in front of it and takes off running. And the bull is just standing there and we just hear boom. And I'm telling you, this was 15 minutes into day one and we watched this thing take off running and we hear boom again and it just drops and me and it was both of his brothers were there and then one other guy that I know and we all look at each other like we 
we all just like really had to push to get two weeks off of work and it's over 15 minutes in and we walk up and it was, I mean, it was a bull of a lifetime. Like nobody had any regrets about it, but we just thought it was really funny that he was adamant about not yeah, eating a bull. Up adamant. I'm not doing it. And everybody that's, says I mean, that until it's standing in front of them. Until, exactly. That. That, that's exactly it. And like, I, I always do that where, if I go on a hunt, I have my expectations, you know, I'm real picky the first couple of days. If I, but it's the minute I see one that's like, all right, that tickles my fancy a bit. It's game over. Oh, yeah. If and you, well, and a, on a moose, especially if I had a moose tag, I mean, as long as it's not a little, you know, little yeah. tiny dig, it's still a huge animal. Oh man. It was, it was alarming. Like we had been close to cows and calves that summer when we were scouting. I mean, we sat and watched three cows, well, like one cow and two yearlings, most likely cows, um, and they were standing there feeding at like 40 yards, and that was crazy. Like, we watched them for a long time. But when you walk up on a bull moose, like a mature bull moose. With neck all rutted oh up. Oh, my and, gosh. Yeah. It was they are, a huge. different level. And then quartering that thing. I mean, like I said, we were only a couple hundred yards from the vehicles. Like, we could see the vehicles in the background. <laughs> And even Perfect. just to get them across a flat spot with a couple dips, those quarters were yeah, a couple hundred pounds they're, each. They're, oh yeah, they're they're heavy animals. What what has stuck out to you so far? Like out of all these hunts that you've done, I guess both um, personally as well as through the nonprofits, are there any that like you just can't shake when you think about it? Yeah, I mean, well, there's there's a lot, but so last year is kind of my favorite memory that I've had for my, like for me, um, I drew a tag in central Idaho. It was a, they call it a capped quota unit. So it's, it's a first come first serve and it sold out in 52 seconds. And me, me, my dad, my uncle and my uncle's brother-in-law all put in and we all hit enter at the same time. And I'm the only one that ended up with a tag. And so we had an outfitter that we, uh, he was going to horseback us in and drop us off, drop camp, leave us. And we were just going to hunt. Well, they didn't get tagged. So uncle and his brother-in-law, they backed out. And I told my dad, I was like, look, don't, you don't need to waste the money on this. I'll go in solo. I can, you know, it'll be fine. He's like, no, 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 I'm going in. I'm going in with you. It'll be great. I was like, all right. He's like, I'll buy a deer tag. And if I see a deer kind of thing, I was like, all right, it's an archery hunt. And we get up to the outfitter. And he's like, Hey, the camp that I had, he'd been dropping us pins all summer. Hey, there, we just saw, you know, probably a three thirty bull here. Just saw, you know, a really nice bull here. Uh, a fire came over the Ridge and was coming down to where he had our drop camp. So that night he had to go and haul in gear to a completely different location that he hadn't scouted. And it was a 12 mile horseback ride in. And I was not, I was, I was physically ready for a two to three mile horse ride. Yeah. Not 12. And my <laughs> hips were smoked, you know, and, and, uh, but we went in and so we were in there for seven days and on day two, we heard one bull finally bugle at the top of a hill, probably a 1200 to 1500 vertical, uh, elevation change. And we're like, okay, so we know there's one up here and we got him on the phone scope and he was a nice five. And we're like, well, let's, we know he's there. Let's go down this, down this Canyon, 
check out everything. We've got some days and we hiked about 13 miles the next day and didn't see an elk, hear a bugle. It was like, that guy's looking a lot better now. So the next morning I was like, let's go up the valley and see what's up there. And we got half a mile from our camp and we heard that bull up top rip off again. I looked at my dad. I said, that's the only bull we've heard. Let's go after him. I don't care at this point if he's a spike or if he is a record elk. If we get in, I'm going to put an arrow in him. And so we dropped all our bags with the exception of like a day pack with water. And we started climbing and it took us three and a half hours to climb this. Just, I mean, hand over, just trying to got up to the top and ripped one cow call and he walked and we were 50 yards from him when we came up and over and he walked over. Yeah. And I put, put a, put an arrow in him and he just kind of stood there and looked at me and then walked right back to where he and fell down. And it was just like, (laughs) Oh, and so we get over and we're like, you know, high five and I'm stoked. And all of a sudden we realized that game bags, knives, everything's at the bottom of the mountain in our bags. Oh my gosh. And so I had one little knife and my dad's like, okay, it's probably two o'clock. And he's like, I'll go down. You start skinning and quartering, just, you know, do what you can. I'll go down and I'll get stuff and I'll come back up. And I'm like, okay. So he takes off, starts heading back down this mountain and I'm quartering and it's just getting darker. The day is progressing. And at about 7.30, it's pitch black up there. I have a headlamp on two quarters off. And I'm like, I don't know where my dad is. Like, I hope he's okay. 9.30, he finally, I hear his voice above me up the mountain. I'm like, and I start, I'm like, Hey, you good. And he's like, he's like, I'll be there in a minute. And he's comes down. He's like, he goes, it took me, he goes, I couldn't get back up in the dark. So I, he had to walk all the way around the Valley on the horse trail. And that's why it took him so long. And he shows up and he's like, yeah, we're sleeping up here. And he breaks out just a tarp and he's like, we made a little a frame and we just sat there. He brought me, he brought me a jacket. Cause all I had on was a t-shirt and it was a cold night. And we just sat there and got the sat phone out and called the outfitter. And we're like, all right, we're here. Come pick us up from here. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, okay, I'll try to make it in there tomorrow. Um, if you don't see me by noon, just head back down to the camp. And we're like, well, we'll just meet you at the camp, hang the elk in the tree. And he came in the next day and we horsebacked out and everything, but it was just like such a cool experience to be there with my dad and like, just, you know, sleeping on the side of a hill in, not even sleeping. We we really just like spooned for warmth and that was pretty much it. Yeah. In just little just put a tarp up to break the wind on the side of a hill next to the bull. So it was it was a lot of fun. He's that's that's the bull right over there. Just oh, heck yeah. a nice yeah, a nice old five point. He's you know, he's he's not gonna break any records, but he I was like as soon as I got him, I was like, Well, he's going right to the wall. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, that's awesome. The the hunts like that where there's just an awesome story to come out of it i always tell my buddies like where the planning ends or when things go wrong that's where the stories and the adventure starts and yeah exactly way more stories like that than i do like when you go hunting nothing ever goes perfectly something always goes wrong you forget a piece of gear i remember on on this bull back here 
Um, it was my second bull, and <laughs> everything had gone fairly smoothly up until the time we were packing out, and we had hiked about a three-quarters of a mile back, and I had just bought these nice Vortex range-finding binoculars, right? And I carried them with me everywhere. And the only time I had taken them off is when we were uh, boning out and quartering, or quartering and then boning out the elk. And basically from where the elk laid to the point where we get up to our side-bys, like every step was incline, if not like just above completely flat, there was no downhill at all the whole way. And we get like three quarters of a mile uh, up the trail. And all of a sudden I'm like, I don't have my binos. Like I just bought these things. They are so nice. And I'm like, at this point, it's mostly flat. I mean, like you could still ride a bike on it, right? You wouldn't have to like get off and push the bike up the hill. And I'm like, crap, everyone's already loaded with meat the rack, the rifles, everything. And we're just at the beginning of our hike back. And so I literally just dropped my pack and I jog all the way back to where we had, we had quartered it. And I'm looking everywhere. Cause I had set it up on a bush. I had like kind of hung it over the bush. And luckily I remembered, well, I could see where all the bones and the guts and everything were. So I was like, all right, from there, it was like over this direction and I look, and I had to dig down in the bush, and they had fallen down into fallen it. Fallen through, oh. And I'm like, oh, dude, I would have, if, they were expensive binoculars. I mean, brand new, they were like 1500 bucks or something like that. And yeah, I've that's... never bought anything that expensive for hunting in my life. These were like right. my pride and joy. But if I had made it back up to the side-by-side before realizing it, they would probably still be out there. Right. Oh yeah. They <laughs> was yeah, not about to make that, tr- make that trip twice at all. Right. Yeah. That's I've, I've had guys that we were packing out and all of a sudden we get to the vehicle and you're like, all right. And he's like, Oh, I can't find my rifle. Oh my gosh. What do you mean? You can't, he's like, I think I left it leaned up against a tree. It's like, <laughs> all right. Grab some headlamps. Let's take a walk. Do you remember which tree? No. Okay. Well, here we go. Yep. Yeah, that was, and that was like yesterday. We packed out that, that elk yesterday and we were, uh, we got going and they're like, it's not that bad. I was like, no, it's not bad, but I don't want to make multiple trips. Yeah. And so we had my dad and my uncle and I was like, just let's go put two quarters on my back. You guys figure out the rest and let's just make one trip. And man, I forgot. I was like, I'm, I'm not exactly in uh pack out shape this year, apparently. Yeah. Cause I was, I was hurting the next, like Sunday. I was like, man, I had stretch a little bit more because i was i was pretty sore and it wasn't even that bad of a pack out man pack outs people underestimate it like the nice thing is the first part of it you can go off of adrenaline right like it's just you're on a high from finding and taking an animal but then by like the last i always feel like the last half of the pack out is just like it's just sheer mental moment where it doesn't feel like it's ever gonna end Yep. But you're just like, it doesn't matter. I just got to muscle through this and make it up. It's, yeah. Or it's, it's bad when you like, you're coming down you're like, okay, there's the road, but you never seem to get closer to the <laughs> road. It's like, like how is, is it? It's like the worst optical illusion. Yep. And then all of a sudden you're just there. <laughs> but yeah. And that was, what I told him, I was like, look, I was like, we're making one trip because I can't, I've, I've, I'm not going to drop a pack, empty it and go back for another. We're taking it out whole. Let's yep. go one trip. 
I'll take as much as I can to do one trip. Oh yeah. We, uh, we hunt on this guy's property up in Wisconsin and he's this older, uh, dairy farmer, like doesn't have family, never been married. And every year he sells his herd and then goes out to Colorado by himself for 30 days, whether it's for archery or muzzleloader. And he just goes out by himself. And I'm like, dude, that is crazy. He, I think he comes back like once or twice during that 30 days, like actually sees civilization just to get another five pound bag of rice. And like, that's his, he'll like take that out. That's and I crazy. mean, he shoots bulls in, I just, I can't imagine like that mentality to go out there completely alone. And then like where he goes, he might have four to six pack outs by himself, like round trip pack outs by himself. And he's just die hard about it. He's like, oh, I like it. I like it. I don't, I was like, how does it feel to like have bulls screaming in your face or to be like calling? And he goes, dude, I don't even call. I'm like, what do you mean you don't call? Like you're archery hunting, you're hunting the rut. And he's like, no, I don't like them knowing that anything's out there. He's like, I crawl in on my hands and knees. And he's like, I get right in the middle of these elk and I'll just wait until a big bull comes by. And I'm like, oh man, you're a totally, <laughs> you're a total different yeah, level you're, of hunter. You're, you're an absolute savage. Yeah. That's yeah. We've got, we have a buddy that we met just by, by hunting. We met him. We were, we were hunting in Idaho. It was like our first year out of state and we got up and we parked in this great prime spot and we're like, man, we can hunt right out of camp. This is great. And this guy comes up and he's like, Hey, are you guys going to be leaving or staying the whole time? And we're like, Oh no, we just got here. We'll be here for three weeks and, or until we take out. And he's like, all right. You know, and we're like, why do you want to camp with us? Kind of thing. Like, and he's like, yeah, it's just me coming up. So sure. And so we became friends with this guy and, and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll call for you. And he's like, Oh, I don't call. I was like, what? And same thing. He's like, he just likes to slip in quiet, listen. And I mean, he was the first one to tag out. It was like, God, but yeah, even that is like the, the most I got from him was he, he, he doesn't use any reads. He just does it with his mouth and he's got an old, I don't even know what you, it's like original Rocky mountain. Like it looks like the, the elk uh, diaphragm. Oh yeah. And he just mouth calls into it and that's it. So it's very quiet. And he's like, yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it works. And I mean, he, it's, I don't get it. Like I, I like to hear him screaming and I like that yeah. playing back and forth with him. But I mean, his, his method doesn't, uh, it doesn't fail. Yeah. I, I want to experience that at some point I have yet to like call a bull in because all I've done mm-hmm. is rifle hunt so far. And I've okay. seen him scream. Like we got onto, we were on this chunk of public and we were overlooking a road that divided the private from public right on the other side was this river bottom, these beautiful meadows and crop fields. And that's where a ton of bulls were. And I'm like, man, hopefully they just like kick across here this evening or something, but we could watch them bugling in the distance. And I'm like, my mind can't, I can't wrap my mind around what it would be like to be like, like 30 yards through the brush and hear something like that right on top of you. It's, it's pretty crazy. Cause that, that I've had that to where, I mean, I was calling for my dad. And so he went down below about 40 yards ahead of me below this hill and I'm ripping bugles and chuckling. And all of a sudden behind us, a bull rips off up the hill about 150 yards. 
And I was like, whoa, what? And so I turn around, I rip a bugle at him and he came running down this mountain thrashing. It was like, I mean, instantly it was like, my heart was just beating out of my chest. And I realized I was like, I'm going to get a shot on this bull. And I was at full draw and I could hear my heartbeat in my ear. (laughs) And it was just like, the most surreal experience because this bull was fired up raking and screaming. I mean, it was just insane. And it's one of my favorite experiences that we don't get in Washington because Washington is true is spike only unless you draw a tag. Oh. So you got to go, you can only take spikes in the general seasons Dang, without drawing. That. Yeah. And so they don't answer to calls. You bugle, they won't come in. <laughs> they're running. Might be, you, oh yeah, they're like, oh, this guy just got my. I just got beat up by that guy. I'm not. A cow call, you might get him to stop for a second. So it's like, it is going in quiet and just kind of hoping that you stumble upon. A, we call them unicorns because I mean that's, you know, yeah. My my uncle that shot that bull, he's shot two spikes in seven years. And that's really good odds comparatively Dang. to most people. Cause it's just, they're hard to hunt and then a lot of pressure too, but yeah, Man. it's uh someday we'll draw though. I mean, we've, we hunt the, the units damn near in our backyards. And so when we do, we have game cameras up there and we, we watch these elk all year long. Uh, the state, our state record muzzleloader elks out of that, the unit that we hunt and it's just one of those like someday we will be when we do draw tags, it's going to be amazing because we already know right where to go. Yeah. Do you guys see like when you're spike bull hunting? Do you Every, see quite oh, a man. few big mature tons? Ones? We yeah, we saw 32 branch antler bulls in the last week. Oh my gosh! And yeah, it's they're all over. We we actually we were kind of concerned. We didn't see a lot of cows this year. We only saw about four cows. Hmm. And usually it's higher odds, but I'm, you know, we're not really sure. It's just kind of, we haven't seen them. I haven't heard them either, but I mean, a lot of, a lot of two packs and satellite bulls roaming out, maybe one herd bull. just kind of, we're getting a lot of the, a lot of the little guys. Yeah. What, um, what, what all are you hunting for this year? I know you mentioned like, New York and Florida and Texas and what different species are you hunting? Cause obviously not all of those places have elk or mule deer. Right. So yeah. So Washington, I'll do deer and elk. Um, my I'm doing muzzleloader for deer and that opens this coming weekend. And then the muzzleloader elk season also opens this weekend. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to probably go up, try to get a mule deer first. If I can get one down quick. Um, I have a, through a buddy we have a thirty thousand acre lease that we guide on and stuff so nice. go out you know it's not it's not a, it's really really densely populated with pretty nice mule deer and so go get get a get a deer out of the way hopefully go back up into the the public and uh, go after a spike elk if not no big deal i've got wyoming uh antelope and elk i've got a cow elk tag for wyoming and as far as big game, that's really it until December. I go down to Texas and we're going to cha- uh, we're going to go after an axis and a fallow on one of the ranches. Uh, a buddy of mine that is with Savage Arms, we're all going to go down and film and he manages a ranch down there. So it'll just be a good time to see him and, yeah. you know, go, go after little exotic uh, 
exotic creatures, and then a lot of waterfowl. So uh, the Florida, Maryland, and all those are all duck hunting uh, vet hunts that we're taking vets on. Okay, nice, man. That sounds that sounds amazing. I saw some of your, I saw some pictures of you guys hunting, or I think one of them was you like laid out prone with the rifle, and it looked like a pretty sweet rifle. What what are you guys shooting? Do you shoot a bunch uh, of different? So- I have, I have a few, but this year I'll be mainly using, I've got a, uh, a Savage 28 Nosler. Oh, nice. So it's their 110, 110 ultralight. Um, and I mean, it's like a six pound rifle. It's perfect for everything, but I've, I always wanted that, that I've got the big, I've got 30 out six, I've got three hundreds, but I always wanted something fast and things just attack driver. Yeah. And so it'll be really good for those, you know, Wyoming antelope, stuff like that. Fast. You know, not too heavy, but the thing is just, I mean, it's attack drivers. The only way I can really describe it, it's so fast per second. What, uh, so I got a 28 Nosler a couple years back and I bought one after watching one video of a guy I know. He shot a bull elk and it was, it was basically facing straight on. I think it was 400 yards and it was facing straight on and he pulls the trigger and you just see, this thing's head go back, its feet come up, and it just does a straight up like, like a back, a backward somersault. I guess is the best way I could put it. And I was like, "Holy cow, that that gun's a tank!" Like, you just folded yeah, that elk, and he's like, "Oh, dude, I'm telling you, it's my favorite round I've ever shot." So I went and picked one up, and I was in Loveland, Colorado, at this indoor shooting range. And I shot it and I was the only one there And the range safety officer. It was this lady. She's standing back by the door. And so I'm like getting it dialed in and I pulled the trigger and I was like, holy cow, like the percussion on that thing was insane. And all of a sudden I can like just tell somebody's right here. And I like stop and I look and my, my gun's on safety and I look at her and she goes, excuse me, what kind of, what kind of rifle are you shooting? And I was like, it's a 28 Nosler. And she's like, can I see the round on that? And so I showed her. And she's like, I'm just going to tell you, like, I'm in here every day. And there was something different about the boom from that rifle. And I was like, yeah. I was like, I could feel it too. I've never, like, this is my first time really getting out and shooting it. And so she's like, okay, I'll leave you to it. I'm going to go back over here. And so she goes and stands back over there. Well, probably... I don't know, 20 feet away was a cart with cleaning supplies on it, like a stainless steel little cart that they had. And so anyways, I get down behind the rifle, pull the trigger again, and I hear something crash over there, and I look, and the percussion of it had knocked the cleaning supplies off of the shelf. And I'm just (laughs) like, this is ridiculous. I'm like, maybe I just won't shoot indoors with this thing anymore. Indoors. Yeah. Yeah, it's that it it was crazy when I the first first round I shot through it. I mean, I had you know I had uh, earmuffs on and everything, and it was still it was well one. It's a you know the kick on that that round. It's oh, yeah. it's a bored out seven mil, and then you take it and you put it on an ultralight <laughs> stock, and it was like I got I shot a box and was like the next day I was like God my shoulder is a little sore from this thing. I mean it's it's got some oomph oh, yeah. and it's. But like I said, I mean, it's a tack driver. There's so much energy at three, four, 500 yards. It's just crazy. Yeah. 
It's it's so cool. I wish I had the type of finances to just buy all these new rounds that are coming out because I was like, I just love looking at ballistic charts and just comparing like, all right, what am I shooting versus what's out there now? And some of the rounds that are coming out right now scream. One of the ones that I'm super interested in is the weather or the six, five, 300 Weatherby. Have you seen the specs on that round? Hmm. You need to, you need to go and look Mm -hmm. at this thing. Uh, yeah, it's like 6.5 dash 300 Weatherby. Look up that bullet and the ballistics on it. And it's crazy. I'll, I'll let you kind of dive into that later on your own, but I'm a nerd when it comes to that yeah. stuff. And I'm like, dude, these bullets that are coming out now, I mean, it used to be a 3000 feet per second bullet was rare, you know, and now yeah. companies are coming out with them left and right. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's my 20, I think it's 3,200 or something. And it's like, insane yeah and that they're only going to be i think it's like what is it the 224 valkyrie or something is throwing like 35 it's it's crazy yeah they're the game has changed as far as precision ammunition goes but the hardest part is then finding it which i found out with that 28 was you know i i got i got on contract with savage arms and they're like yeah well you know what gun do you want and i was like well I was like, how long am I, are we looking on lead time? I know that, you know, guns are hard to get, ammunition's hard to get right now. Like, well, we have a 28 nozzle that we sent to um, somebody. They wrote up a big review on it. So they shot it like three or four times, but it's in stock. I said, I will take that. I want the yeah. 28 nozzle anyways. I'll take it. And they're like, okay. You know, and they, they made sure everything was good. They ran it through all their specs. And then I found out, oh, finding ammo for that gun is the hardest thing in the world. And so I started paying there was a guy in Montana who, I, I mean, I couldn't find the dies to reload my own, the bullets. I had primers. I had, you know, I had no casings. It was just impossible to find. So I paid a hundred bucks for a guy to make me 20 hand loads. And then I was starting to find them in stores. It was like 75 bucks for 20, yep. 60 bucks for 20. And it was just like, I'm never going to get this damn rifle dialed in, you know, no. and like have enough to where I can go and be comfortable with it. And then I had a friend of mine and she was in new Orleans and she's like, Hey, I'm at a, I'm at a gun store. Uh, they just got a bunch of ammo in. I was like 28 nozzle, 155 grain. Please let me know if you have it. And she's like, uh, they have four boxes. I was like, I'll take them. Please just buy them for them. me. Yep. Yeah. And she's like, okay. And it was like 50 bucks a box, which that's fine. Cause now I I've got, I keep all the brass. We finally found bullets. I now know. Okay what grain do we want to dial in a hand load for? So, but it was just like, I'm net, you know, it was like the hardest thing in the world was finding rounds and you break down the cost. It's like four fifty around, yep. you know, it's, it's not something you can just go to the range. All right, guys, if you enjoy this show and you want to know how to make your own, I'm going to tell you about something called anchor. It's an app that I've been using ever since I started and it's completely free. Like I said, I've used it from the get go and I haven't had to pay, a single penny to distribute my podcast through this app. They've got creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone, tablet, computer, so you don't have to get a bunch of fancy equipment in order to get started. Now you can also add songs directly from Spotify into your episodes. So, I mean, you can create whatever you want, something that nobody's ever heard before, and it's so easy. Just click and drag. Anchor is also going to help you distribute your podcast. And so you don't have to upload it to all of these different platforms. Anchor can be that central hub that your podcast goes out to all of the other platforms through. And you can make 
money without any minimum listenership. So, I mean, you heard that right. You can actually start making money right away, no matter how many listeners you have. So what I'm getting at is it's basically everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So go and download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Oh, sorry. I had to, had to mute myself on that one. Yeah. Uh, it's not something you can go to the range and be like, yeah, let me go dump 20, 30 rounds and just plink at targets. Like, I don't have that kind of money lying around. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah, I, I discovered that pretty quickly. Um, the guy that inspired me to get the 28 Nosler, he was buying the Gunworks 28 Nosler oh rounds. And you're talking $6 per round. And, and not just that, did he buy the Gunworks gun too? He, he does have the Gunworks gun. Oh and they, well, I mean, that is, that is a sexy, sexy rifle. They've got a couple of them. And I've, there's no way I could spend that much on a rifle. Dude, I shot. I shot the 338 Terminator, which is like a Lapua on crack. On crack, yeah. And I shot that thing. I think I started shooting at a thousand yards at this range, and we were shooting a human silhouette target that was like 18 inches tall, probably like a six inch head on it, and I could plink that thing at a thousand yards in the head every single shot. And I'm like, yeah. this is the greatest feeling ever. And they're like, take it out a little farther. And so I'm like, all right. So I bump it out. Now I'm at 1350, shooting this gong at 1350. I'm like, what's next? 1550. I'm like, all right. Start shooting at 1550. They're like, what's next? Or I was like, what's next? And they're like, the mile. Nobody's hit the mile. The mile. And I was like, okay. Like, do you mind if I try? And they're like, we really haven't, like, we're having a hard time hitting the mile today. And I was like, okay, well, come to find out, nobody had ever hit the mile. This was at a private range that they had set up out to two miles. Nobody had ever got to a mile yet. And the reason crazy was, side winds. Well, yeah, the reason was the mile um, gong was on top of this ridge line. Well, they own the mountain behind it as well, so they know, like, you know, nobody's behind it, whatever. But the bullet is coming down at such a steep angle that you can't see impact behind it. And so I figured so that out after yep. I figured it out after a little bit and I go, okay, I'm going to shoot at that rock right in front of the mile. So they range the rock and it's like at 1748 or something like that. So I shoot and they're like, all right, you hit about four feet left of the rock. So we make an adjustment six inches left of the rock. So I'm like, all right, going back to steel, go to steel, boom, left of center, about a foot. And I ended up hitting it like five times in a row at a mile. And I'm like, nice. this is, I mean, and I'm not trying to brag or anything. This was a huge gong. This was like two feet by four feet. You know, this yeah, is yeah. like a little 16. Yeah. It's, gong yeah, it's the big steel. Yeah. And so right. I'm shooting and we ended up getting like five, five or six different guys to hit it a mile that day. And I was hooked, but I was also like, I can't afford, I can't, af I mean, they were just pulling out stacks of Gunworks boxes, and they're like, oh, here you go, here you go. I mean, oh just God. burning through hundreds of rounds of this ammo. It was one of the funnest yeah, days of my cheap. life. That's not cheap. But, yeah. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah, when it's when it's not when it's not my wallet, <laughs> yep. and somebody wants me to come shoot something, by all means, I would love to come use your ammo. Yep. <laughs> you know? Man, yeah. Yeah, no, that's... That, those those gunworks rifles are something special. 
I I got into I temporarily got into long range shooting at twenty two. <laughs> and by long range I mean like three hundred yards. But we got it dialed in. I had all in to this twenty two. I had hundred and twenty two dollars. It was like nice. ninety six bucks at Walmart and then I bought Perfect. roughly a thirty dollar scope for it. I mean like a little pellet gun scope, right? And I was like, man, just for fun, we were out shooting and I had it out there because it was fairly new to me. And uh, I was like, man, just for fun, I'm going to like crank this thing all the way up. I want to see what kind of elevation adjustment this $30 scope has, which turns out it was quite a bit. And so I like just cranked it way up and I ended up hitting this gong at like 300 yards multiple times. And I was like, man, this is the way to do it. You get all the fun. You can hear the tink. The scope mm-hmm. magnification makes it look like the gong is 700 yards away, but you're shooting 22 ammo. And then, of course, exactly. everything hit like the next year and then like COVID after that. And so you couldn't even find 22 ammo. I'm like the one ammo, yeah. the one round that I've always been able to get consistently is now MIA. Yeah, definitely. That's yeah. There, I mean, people were just hoarding it. It was crazy. Like. We had we had guys because they would you know we'd show up to the gun store they'd get six boxes of miscellaneous stuff and the guy in the front of the line would just buy all six he didn't even have the rifles yep. or even the guns for but he was buying it all it was like all right all right folks I was but, I was seeing this. arms list people were trading cases of twenty two ammo they they would have like oh, the geez. thousand round bricks or the five hundred and fifty five round bricks or whatever like those random yeah. numbers are and they'd be trading them for rifles and pistols and shotguns. And I'm like, if I were smart, I would have, like, I didn't hoard toilet paper anyway. But, like, if I was smart when everybody else was hoarding toilet paper, I would have just picked up all the 22 ammo. And then, I mean, you could have lived like a king at that point. Right, exactly. It's like its its own little, like, barter, (laughs) post-apocalypto barter system. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, those 22s, I've got a buddy that he he lives in Wyoming, and so they, they do the ground squirrels and stuff like that. And they'll, same thing, they'll go out with just, boxes of the 22 and they just sit there all day and just blink blink and shooting these little grounds it looks like a lot of fun and you really don't need a great rifle you just need a rifle at that point yeah so those little 22s are fun they're fun to shoot we (laughs) you talked about ground squirrels and i thought about prairie dog hunting or that's that's what i meant prairie dogs oh okay the prairie dogs not the ground squirrels I wish we would have done that uh, a couple of years ago. So I gifted the 28 nozzler to my brother. He completed like a recovery program. Um, and I told him I'd get him a rifle and a scope and have it fully set up for him. Well, by the time he uh, finished the program, I didn't have the finances to buy him a new rifle and I had two rifles. And so I gifted, I gave him mine. Well, we took that out prairie dog hunting the 28 nozzler. Oh my (laughs) gosh. It was it was that's one a, that's of the a, that's craziest a of, things I've ever experienced. Were I they mean, just flying up in the air? Or were they just exploding? Both. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I I was like, there's no way you guys are this. I was I was mainly spotting for him and this other guy that completed the program with him. And I just like taking new people out hunting and stuff. And they're like, well, what can we get? For sure. And I was like, well, there's not much aside from coyotes and like basically pests or predators. We could go and do that stuff. And they're like, hey, let's go prairie dog hunting. I'm like, sure, sounds good. Never really done it. And we get out there. And, I mean, these are at 500 yards away. And I don't know if – 
I don't even know how often they were actually hitting them versus hitting in front of them and like whatever shrapnel that was flying up out of the dirt or like the sand was probably flying at 3,000 feet per second at that point. And it was just taking them out. It was very nice. impressive. That's a that's an expensive day though. Still, even oh, with those rounds. Well, at that point they were all his, so I was like, "You can shoot as many oh, as yeah. you want." And then he See? did. He called me a couple Perfect. months later. He's like, "Can you find any twenty eight Nosler where you're at?" And I'm like, "No, dude. Nobody can find it anywhere." No, the answer is no. Yeah, exactly. You have to sell your firstborn child to get a box. <laughs> yep. What uh? Yeah. So what about you? What uh? What kind of hunts are you got this year? I saw you're deer hunting, right? Yeah. Um. I went out deer hunting last night. It was a good time. Had a couple does come in. Um, they spooked because I had a camera. I had like one of those tacticams and I I went to record well, it was still on the vibrate mode. I think you can shut that off, but I had it like on this head mount. I looked like Inspector Gadget, right? And nice. I like hit it and it's just going bzz, 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 and I'm mm. like, oh man, and this doe's at five yards and she's just like staring right into my eyes i'm like yeah this is over um yeah but doe hunting or i mean i'm basically doe hunting right now obviously if a buck came through i would shoot it but i don't have any hopes of i don't have high expectations of that until probably late october um yeah do you guys do you guys get multiple deer tags for missouri oh yeah how does that work yeah so missouri like i went and i bought i think it was a 17 dollar tag and i got two any deer and two turkeys with that and and then on top of that you can buy additional doe tags for seven dollars a piece i think um the way it works for bucks here is you can shoot one buck before rifle season with your bow and then you have to wait until rifle season or after um to shoot a second buck Okay. That's not bad. I've got a buddy, I got a buddy out in Missouri and he's always like, just come out, come out. Oh yeah. You know, it's, it it looks like a good time. And there's, there's a few Midwest States that I'd really like to, I don't, I don't go after whitetail ever. I shot my first whitetail last year. And so it's just kind of where I live in mule deer country. So it's just kind of, they've always been the thing, but there's something about, I've, I mean, I've seen those Midwest whitetails and it's like, they're on a different level. They're gnarly. I don't know what it is. I mean, like you, you notice most uh, deer magazines and stuff, they highlight whitetail a lot. And I don't Big know if it's just tail. because of, because like the vast majority of the population grew up hunting whitetail versus mule right. deer, but I've always been intrigued by mule deer and I grew up whitetail hunting. Um, yeah. But, and I wonder if that is, it's, it's just kind of, you know, you, you want what you don't have kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I could definitely see that. The whitetail is just a different, it's a different sport, you know, like you can, you can get to know these animals. And I know there's guys out West that they'll, they'll glass the same bull or the same buck year after year. You know, they know the, the hole that it lives in deep back in the mountains or like this little Valley where it's known to hang out. But with whitetail, it's cool because you almost get like a more intimate relationship with them. Like for me putting out trail cameras, I can tell you what time of night each buck is going to show up, which bucks are going to come in together, which one's going to come in by itself or maybe with a group of does. And and then the other nice thing is you just sit there. Like it, there's something calming about you're just in a tree and you just wait. 
any mining. Yeah, that was that was a that was a, a learned thing. Was tree stand hunting yep. took a lot of learning. I I I do it now. We in Idaho, we we can run uh, bait barrels for bears. Oh, nice. And so what we do is we'll set. I I do it with my bow. So we're 18, 20 yards away from our barrel. But that took a long time for me learning the patience of just enjoy being there. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it was just slapping mosquitoes and <laughs> stuff. But then I figured out, I was like, download, download a podcast, put one earbud in and just sit there and enjoy nothing. You know, yeah. there was just silence. And I mean, I've had moose walk through right by the, you're sitting there just like. That's Whoa. crazy. Yeah. It's, it's been a lot of fun, but yeah, I, I've never, I haven't hunted deer from a tree stand yet, but I think it would be, it would be a good time if you're, at least if you're seeing something, even yeah. if you have no shot at it, I'd rather see a doe come walking through and then you just got to sit there and enjoy that. Yep. Well, I, I sit in this one spot on the property and it's like 230 acres that we can hunt. And the nice thing is there's no pressure in any direction except the property south there's one person that hunts on it and so like we have deer that just really aren't pressured they know nice they know who i am because i'm in there a couple times a week like they know my smell they know not to be afraid of me until about this time of year Um, right yeah and then all of a sudden they go haywire (laughs) yeah exactly um but i i picked this spot in a tree it's not the most opportune spot to shoot a deer but like you said being able to see them I can see hundreds of yards in several directions and I know no matter what I'm going to see deer, they just might not be close or I might not have a shot, but I can't stand when you're sitting somewhere and you're just like, there could be deer 50 yards from me and I can't see it because it's so thick. Yeah. Like I have to have that visual. Otherwise I'm constant. My mind's racing. Like, what if I was sitting in that tree looking the next? Exactly. Like, Maybe I should just move. Maybe I should move to this spotter exactly yeah i I need to be able to see a little bit of activity and have a little bit of sensory engagement yep and that's what i loved about western hunting because you may be sitting there glassing and you're like man i wonder what's over that ridge you know what i'm just gonna get up and go look it's the coolest thing ever the the spot and stock and you never know what you're gonna kick up in between then and you know, you start getting smells. You can smell the elk. And oh my god! You start thinking, "Oh man, we're we're in a good area." And then you realize you're just, "Oh, you're in an old bedding area that's been marked on all summer." But yeah, those the smells and exactly, there's nothing stopping me because that huge canyon. I might bump an elk, and he's only gonna, they're only going to go a couple hundred yards. Yep, and then they're going to settle back down. Versus a whitetail where. They blow out of there. They're gone for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they they don't come back. And it's not like you can just get high and watch them and see where they go. You know, when you are when you bump a whitetail, like, it could just go into the tiniest thicket. And just lay down. You won't know that it's, yeah, you'll never know it existed. The whole world forgets about that whitetail until it wants to be seen again. I remember we were we were elk hunting out west, and we went back to this spike camp, and we're like, man, this is a great spot. We get up, and we start glassing down, like, way below us, and it was super steep. And we glassed this huge herd of elk, tons of big bulls in it, one that was, like, just old and gray and heavy. Best we could tell, it just had six on each side, but it was just, like, you could tell, like, just looking at them with your naked eye, it was just like 
light brown and golden and a little bit dark brown. And this one was like this gnarly gray color and looked like it had been like an old, old warrior. Yeah. And nice. I'm like, man, I want to go after that one so bad. We start our trek down this mountain. And by the time we get like probably 500 yards from it, which I felt fairly comfortable shooting, we all were like, we can't shoot this bull. Like there is no way we will ever get it back up this mountain. Like just some of the spots that we were going, we were like sliding on our hands, feet, and butt like down the mountain, just trying to stop ourselves. But um, yeah, that's exactly the, this. So this was like, I mean, within a couple hundred yards of the border of a private ranch, and so me, my buddy Sean, and his daughter were going after these bulls, and we're like, okay, you know what? We're gonna back out. We'll see where they are tomorrow when we wake up, and. We, we got up, we had heard them all night, like from our tents and we started going after them in a different spot. And here, I think, I don't know for sure, but Sean was like, no, I know that's these guys. He's like, these are guides from the ranch that came onto public and they were entering from public back onto the ranch just to push all the elk back onto their property. Mm. And I'm like, are yeah. you kidding me? They do that? And he's like, oh, every year they do this. All the time. And 100% because they want them on for their clients. Oh, yeah. And we watched we watched this whole herd of elk. And, I mean, it was probably like 60 to 75. And I watched them cross miles across this valley into the mountains on the other side of the valley. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. I have never watched an animal for that, like, distance. Oh, it yeah. was just like you could watch him, and he's like, oh, now they're on that hill. Now they're on that hill. Now they're climbing that face and just watching him for miles and miles. It was it was surreal. There's something about, yeah. like, the amount of land they can cover, how easily they oh. can cover it, and you just think they travel that every single day. That would have taken me two days to get across, and they did it in, like, yeah. 40 minutes. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're four-wheel, four-wheel drive machines. They're... It's it is incredible to watch an elk when they don't want to be where they're at. How fast they can get away, and I mean, you hear, you can hear it when they oh, yeah. when they get to running. I've I've jumped you know big bulls a mile up on the top of a mountain, and you just hear them thrashing all the way down, and it's only like thirty seconds. What took me hours yeah. takes them no time. It's they are they're impressive animals. Could you imagine if you could? Like take one of those as a pet out elk hunting. You just use your yeah. pet elk to pack in just a, a total like Judas, like a Judas sheet. <laughs> exactly. And just go find them. Go find He's them, just buddy. Like, Guys, please don't make me do this. Please don't make me right. do this to my own people. He's like, I, f- I feel like a real dick right now. <laughs> and then you'd have to put like a blaze orange saddle on him, you know, or something. Yeah, definitely. Well, shoot, I don't trust people. There's, there's, there's folks in one of the towns near us. They had a they rescued a little fawn years ago. Uh, mama got hit by a car. And so they raised the fawn. They had a, a property. Yeah. So they put a dog collar on the, you know, bright, bright yellow or bright uh, fluorescent orange collar. And that deer would come back every year. And then he, then it became a nice buck. Mm-hmm. And it had the collar and it was so tame. You could walk up and pet it. Some hunter shot it. Yep. Opening day. And I mean, there was people were pissed. Locals. Oh, yeah. oh they killed it. I mean, we're going to sue this guy. And it was like, he didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Technically like optics wise, eh, probably not a good look. Yeah. But I mean, 
it's a nice buck. I mean, it was a dandy of a buck. I just shot a banded buck, guys. <laughs> That's literally exactly like, man, I didn't know fishing game was putting dog collars on them now. Yep. I, man, speaking of, I did have a buddy in Colorado. He shot a two, I think it was a 204 or 207 inch muley with a radio collar. And yeah, I was like, man, are they cool buck. with you shooting that? And they're like, uh, I heard a couple different podcasts where they talked about stuff like that. And they're like, yeah, we want to, we want as, we want as realistic of like, uh, mortality studies as we can. So if it's something you yeah. would shoot, if it didn't have a collar, we want you to shoot it, even though it does have a collar and then exactly. It yeah. It helps us. Yeah. And they, and that's kind of why they make them brown and they try to make them blend in. Like I've, I've seen cow elk with them and you're like, what's that? And you can, I mean, you, if you look hard enough, you can tell, Yeah. but they, they try to make it blend in and exactly. They want the data because that, that deer's not off limits just because yeah. fishing game collared it that. And exactly. As long as you do your uh, due diligence to turn that radio collar back into them, it, it helps everybody in the long run. Yeah. He, uh, he was really hoping to be able to keep it and they were like, no, we yeah. definitely need it back. So he just went on right. eBay and bought like a replica bought one. and put it on the, Perfect. That's on the a, mount. That's exactly what I would do. Yep. That's exactly what I would do is get a replica made because if I shoot well, one, if I shot a 200 inch mule deer, good Lord, he's getting shoulder mounted no matter what. Yeah. But, and then, yeah, a radio collar is just a, one more thing that's a little bit more rare. Yeah. I don't, I, I can't for the life of me figure out what our fascination is with shooting animals that have already been caught by other humans like even right. ducks geese i've got i've got two dove bands and they're the only bands nice. that i have actually oh, i don't think they're right there i thought they might be right there on the shelf but they're like the tiniest little things they barely fit around 550 cord and uh for some reason i was so pumped to shoot a dove that was dumb enough to be caught and ba- banded by a human being it was like a trophy yeah. to me. Oh, definitely. Well, and that's, yeah, I've got, I've, I've got my, my lab. He's starting to get bored, but, uh, he's retrieved a few bands and it's one of those, like I've, I have not even shot a band, but my dog's retrieved a bunch of bands. So it's yeah. like, man, someday we're going to get one, but that is, it, it's a lot of fun to see the look on people's faces, those bands. And then you, I never have thought about that. Like that bird was caught by someone else at one point. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we have a, we have a buddy of mine, they do sea duck hunting. So it's out in the, out in the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. And our, my buddy's wife shot uh, a surf scoter and when we pulled it up, it was banded and she's like, oh man. And he calls me, he goes, dude, it's a 22 year old duck. Oh my god! I was like, what? And he goes, he goes, it's the oldest living banded duck uh, of that species. And so Obviously, she's got that you know mounted with the band on it and stuff. But it was like twenty-two years that duck's just been flying up and down the coast. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, I hear every every band I've shot like or seen is like a year or two old and was banded like five feet away from <laughs> it. It seems like that is exactly what mine were. I shot one here in Missouri and it was banded less than five miles and less than thirty days before. And then I Perfect. shot one out on the front range in Colorado and the same exact, um, and like, I mean, to a T less than a month and, uh, less than five miles. And I'm like, really guys, like 
that's what I get. I hear people like, man, I was in Texas and I shot, I shot a pintail from Saskatchewan. Oh, you know, exactly. It was banded in 20, 2012. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And I keep hearing stories about that. Like, or you get these, these ducks and geese that have multiple bands, you know, they've been recaptured mm-hmm. and rebanded or my cousin, he shot or the, uh, the money bands. Oh my I saw two guys almost kill each other. They were twin brothers over a $300 wood duck money band. And I was just like, I didn't even know what it was. I had never seen a band or even heard about it. This was like year two of duck hunting when I was a kid. And they're just like about to bury each other in the marsh out there. And I had no idea. And they're like, look, it had this on it. Like you saw, I shot this one, didn't I? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, what is that? Why is it such a big deal? And they're like, this is $300. And I was like, hold on. Nobody told me I could make money off of this. Like right. I can be yeah. out here so shooting. Are, are, am I now a professional hunter? Yeah, exactly. Because, <laughs> yeah. That's I've, I've seen a couple of guys that they've, they've almost gone to blows over uh, a neck band on a goose. Oh man. I, I it was would. one of those. Oh, hundred percent. I'm going to, I hope that there we go. All right, you're back. You froze up, or okay. did I freeze up? Or no, I think it was me. I think we we have this little hot spot that we use um, because we live in a tin shed and we live out in the country, and so it's basically a giant Faraday cage. And so we have like a hot spot uh, velcroed to the back of our front door, and it like pulls cell service and throws it into the whole house for us. Oh, the battery oh, nice. got too hot on it, so it overheated and shut down. My wife fixed it though. Oh. Perfect. But, um, well, we're actually coming up on an hour. I can't believe it's been an hour. It feels like we've been talking that for like quick. 10 minutes. Um, but yeah, let's, that went quick. let's talk about high range hunting and, uh, just share people kind of what you guys do, um, how they could get connected with you and, and a little bit about that organization. Yeah, definitely. So the high range hunting was, it was more, it was more me, um, the nonprofit that I work with is called High Point Adventures, okay. and um, between myself and uh, my partner Ryan, he's he goes. A lot of people will know him. He goes off uh, Ryan off the grid. So we work with High Point Adventures to host all these hunts. So okay. uh, Rob Anthony founded the nonprofit and brought Ryan in, and then Ryan brought me in, and so we. Uh, work with the outfitters that we know what, you know, that we have good relationships with and we build up these plans and, you know, how many seats can we fill? And then from there, we, uh, through our social media pages, we'll put out that, Hey, we're looking for veterans. If there's any special requirements, like sometimes uh, the outfitter wants uh, a purple heart recipient. And so we'll put that out there. And then from there, we've got our emails set up and they submit, uh, supporting documents. So uh, a redacted DD-214, which is their discharge paperwork that can pretty much just verify what they're sa- what they're telling us is true um, because you can't, I mean, I guess you could forge it, but it's not exactly the easiest document to tamper with. Um, so once we have that, we usually ask for a little bio, you know, why would you like to come on this hunt with us? And we'll go through and between me and Ryan and we'll vet a few and say, okay, I think these X amount would be a good fit for this. And then we'll talk with them and make sure that they can make those dates. And then we start, 
you know, the planning, finding lodging, um, working on getting, you know, flights and everything taken care of, getting confirmations. And then either myself or Ryan or both of us will go out on these as well. And we just film. So we, we take our camera equipment, we film it, and then we interview them, tell their story. And yeah, so it's, uh, it's just, it makes a lot of fun. You know, get it. I get to meet all these people with similar walks of life, but still different experiences. And, you know, you get to, you get to see guys who need that camaraderie and that fellowship. Sometimes you can just, you know, you can tell. And sometimes, I mean, we've had, we've had vets that we bring out on hunts that they go back to these outfitters as clients, you know, they take, you know, they'll go back and they'll hunt with them or they'll, you can see them referring people just because they've had such a great experience with these outfitters that we work with. That's awesome. So how, if, if someone wants to participate, whether it's like, Hey, we want to let you use our land or we want to donate or, Hey, we want to participate in a hunt. How can they find that and, and become a part? Yeah. So if they get a hold of me on pretty much any social media, it's at high range hunting, um, Facebook, Instagram are the two big ones that I run with. I tried the whole TikTok thing, but they keep taking down my videos for <laughs> community guidelines. Yep. So I can't exactly figure that one out. So I just kind of, I use it for my own entertainment. I just laugh at some of the videos, but <laughs> Instagram, YouTube, or uh, Facebook are the big ones that I, we, myself and Ryan both, uh, do majority of the business off of. Okay. And so when we get a hunt, we'll post a big announcement with clear details. And then we announce, you know, who, who we're taking and everything. Uh, same with outfitters. If outfitters want to get involved, if they want to host or just, you know, sometimes like we've had, we had a, a guy who makes decoys. He made some custom decoys for a hunt that we, you know, took the vets on and then gave them, gave them, the decoys as well at the end. Um, so if, if you're wanting to get involved in any way like that, same thing, reach out to me or Ryan, um, on Instagram or Facebook or his, which is, uh, Ryan off the grid on pretty much everything. And mine's high range hunting. And yeah, if, I mean, it, you know, it'd be great to get more. I'd like to personally get more big game stuff going. Um, yeah. that's, you know, obviously that's kind of a harder thing cause it's less, we, we, we tend to stick to the waterfowl. Ryan's a big waterfowler. I love waterfowling, but waterfowling, you can get five, six, seven guys out there. Um, so it's a little bit easier to justify, okay, we're going to do a three days with this outfitter duck hunting or yeah. goose hunting. We can get seven people versus one deer hunt or one bear hunt. But every now and again, we do get uh, some, we have an annual uh, mountain lion hunt with hounds. Nice. Yeah. And so, and that's actually Rob, the the founder of the nonprofit, he's a houndsman. And so he'll, oh, cool. he brings one, one purple heart recipient and the past couple of years, Ryan's gone and filmed it. And next year I'll go and film it. And then we get, we have one, uh, on the East, Eastern plains of Colorado, we get a, we have one landowner that donates one of his deer tags oh, and those cool. are big muleys. Oh Yeah big, big muleys. And so we get usually with that hunt, it's not exactly the hardest hunt. So we try to tailor that to more mobility impaired and stuff like that. So that way, you know, we, we try to tailor the service member to the hunt versus 
you know, putting somebody who can't keep up, you know, we don't want anybody to feel like, like, well, this sucks. I, you know, I didn't enjoy myself at all. We want everybody to have a really great experience with them. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That seems like such a cool organization and a cool way to, to kind of give back to your fellow service members. Um, yeah, definitely. I'm excited to keep up with it and, and check out all the stories. Unfortunately, TikTok is just, they don't like hunters. They don't like bullets, no. arrows, bows, animals, none of it. None of it. But uh, I, it's, it's pretty crazy that, I mean, I got, I got way late into that. Like when that, when that app first came out, I was like, it's just a bunch of housewives that have nothing better to do, but do cringy dances. And oh, then I as I kind of could hear this, as we're talking, this is so good. As I, as I kind of delve into it, you start seeing there's some, there's some very funny videos on there. Yeah. And then there's still a lot of very cringy videos, <laughs> yep. but I've noticed like it's definitely tailored more to, but yeah, the hunting, it's like, I've posted a couple of videos of just animal recoveries or pack out. They're gone flag immediately. It's like, I, I mean, it's yeah. Like I didn't even post. It's so crazy. And so I was one of those like, well, I'm not going to use this. I'll, I'll use it to watch some videos and just get a few chuckles, but yeah, it's definitely not worth me editing videos for it. Yeah. We, I, I was like, all right, I have to just stick to the humor side and the closest I get to hunting related content is basically me and camo saying I'm going hunting. But like I had a video removed because I was clanking two empty uh, rifle cartridges together. I was like doing it to the beat and it got removed because I had empty oh, rifle casings and I'm like, all right, this is absolutely crazy, but oh well. Well, man, it has been awesome yeah, chatting it's... and we're definitely going to have to schedule more of these cause it sucks. I, I always do it and I'm like, man, I want to keep it around an hour. I want to be respectful of people's times. I want the listeners to be engaged and then, the hour comes and goes and I'm like, dude, I could talk for another five. So we might just have to have like parts two, three, four, and five, um, here over the course of the next Yeah, definitely, months. man. That'd be great. We could get, yeah, get, get me and Ryan on. We could, we could set one up to where we do it, you know, at one of our hunts if you want. Yeah. You know? That'd be jump really on sweet. with some of the, some of the vets that we've got out or something. That'd I'd be, be a good down time for that for sure. Yeah. Let okay. me know what would definitely. be a good one where you might have cell service and you could give me like a mid hunt uh, update, how it's going and what you guys have seen. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely, man. That would be a lot of fun. Well, I'll, uh, I'll leave the last word up to you. This segment is emptying the chamber. And so this is your last chance to just share whatever it is you want with the listeners. All right. Well, um, yeah, like I said, I mean, if you are a veteran active duty law enforcement, or family of someone who's terminally ill. Typically we, we try to do it almost like make a wish, um, youth hunters, stuff like that. Um, we, we can, we can put something together for you. Just if, feel free to reach out if you ever have any questions or just need, um, some guidance towards something. I've got a lot of connections with a lot of other organizations. If we can't necessarily help, I know enough people, in the nonprofit world, as well as in the hunting community that, you know, I can always push you in the right direction. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I, one, I'll answer every 
Instagram message that comes through. So it will never, you will not get overlooked. Um, yeah, just if, if anybody is ever interested, you know, feel free, reach out. Uh, outfitters, if you're looking, you want to get involved, please reach out. That'd be amazing. Um, yeah, that's, that's about all I got. Sweet, man. Well, again, I appreciate it. And, uh, good luck this hunting season. Right on, man. You too. Appreciate it. Thanks. And that is going to do it for this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to that because I definitely had a good time chatting with Chris and I look forward to getting out and hunting with him, hopefully in the near future, man, I'm building an awesome list of future hunting partners because everybody on the show, I'm like, after hearing their stories, after hearing their passion and excitement for the sport that they pursue, uh, I just want to get out and hunt with them. So hopefully we can make that happen. But I did get a little taste of the outdoors this evening. I went out with my buddy Tony, who I'll be going on an elk hunt with this fall. And actually, only in like a little over a month. But we did some rifle sight-ins and just kind of got a game plan together for our late October, early November Colorado elk hunt. So that was awesome. Um, But if you guys haven't already, please hop on, leave a review and a rating. That helps out the show tremendously. And go buy some stickers. Uh, Sticker sales have been down recently, probably because I haven't been going live on TikTok. And my wife hasn't been doing handwritten notes on a live stream. I think that probably helps out my sales quite a bit. So maybe we'll have to get on and do that. But if you do want a sticker, um, we send them out as fast as we can. So hop on and check those out. They're only three bucks. And again, that helps out the show. So until next time, always choose adventure. And God bless.